through this chapter and a half. We're going to be finishing up chapter two and then doing all of chapter three of the fist of the fist book. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 31-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them now for the first time as an adult because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on as a society. But I'm not on this quest alone. I am joined by a longtime podcast friend of mine that has recently devoured the Percy Jackson books, and it makes me very excited because now I have an excuse to talk to that friend on this podcast multiple times, and now we're just going to hit the ground running and have you on a whole bunch. Let's go. It's Sequoia Simone. You know Sequoia from Fanatical Fix, and you know Sequoia from But Make It Scary. Sequoia, how's it going? Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here for various reasons, including that I listen to this podcast and like this podcast (laughs) so much. And it's always, (laughs) always great to be on a Mike Schubert production. So thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for hopping in. I'm glad we are continuing our trend of even though you have moved to New York City, we have not seen each other in New York since you moved. (laughs) We've only hung out when you were in New York visiting friends and then at LeakyCons. One day our schedules will align and we will hang out in the city in which we both live. Exactly. Exactly. One day. One day. (laughs) One day. Now, before we get into these couple of chapters. We're doing a chapter and a half this time. You're going to be on the next episode as well. But what is your history with the Percy Jackson books? How did you get into them? How did you like them? Where's your fandom at? How much fan fiction are you consuming? What's your st- <laughs> <laughs> what's your situation? Uh, oh, I love the fan fiction call out right off the bat. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Here's the thing, you know, much like people in our age group, this missed me a little bit on the age group spectrum, but it's always been something sort of in my periphery. And thankfully, I'm sure as many big Percy Jackson fans will be happy to hear, I have not seen the bad film. Oh, I- <laughs> I'll have to invite you over when I watch the bad yes, film. Yes, <laughs> that would be great. Please do. Thank you. I'm literally going to do a thing. I'm seriously considering it. And by seriously considering, I mean, I will do it. I want to do a thing where I put together some sort of like stream party. Obviously, I cannot stream the film because of right. legal reasons. And I do not right. want to anger the mouse. <laughs> but what I would love to do is a thing where like stream me and friends watching it. And then, you know, we can do a hit play three, two, one kind of thing. And then exactly. put that up for like, if you're a patron, watch it kind of like we do when Steven and I play Hades and then just try to have as many New York people who are from the podcast and just make it a big oh. thing. So the fact that you haven't seen them too could be very, very fun. That would be so <laughs> fun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really excited for the Disney Plus series. I Mm -hmm. really am. All the casting that's come out has been so choice. Incredible stuff. Just so good, so good, so good. But yeah, I started reading them when you first mentioned that this was going to be your next 
thing, you know? And I really wanted to listen to the show because I really love all your shows. And so I started reading and then I moved to New York and I very purposefully was like, okay, I'm going to be really busy. So I'm just going to bring, I had already finished one and I was like, I'm just going to bring the second one with me. And I accidentally brought the third one with me instead (sighs) of the second one. It, you know, set me back. (laughs) (laughs) It set me back so far. But then once I had all my books with me again, once I, you know, fully moved into my new apartment, I cruised through the next four of them in like maybe a week, maybe a little bit less than that. And then I think I immediately just like opened up Facebook Messenger and I was like, hello, Mike, (laughs) I have finished the Percy Jackson books. (laughs) Yes, I was very happy to receive that text message of just, yes, someone that I know will be fantastic on this podcast has now read the books, which is one of the few sort of checkmark prerequisites. It's like, okay, (laughs) professional podcaster who's read them, check. Personal friend of mine that I know I have good chemistry, check. Oh, Sequoia checks both boxes. (laughs) (laughs) And and not only, I would like to point out, because I know you've talked about this on the show before, but I hit you with the double whammy in this message I sent you where I was like, hey, I finished the Percy Jackson books and I watched all the John Wick movies. So look at me go. (laughs) I have not yet seen John Wick 4, which I think is just John Wick (gasps) chapter 4. I was sad that they didn't put a name after it. I like that John Mm. Wick 3 was John Wick 3 colon parabellum and i was sad (laughs) that it was just john wick chapter four because now it's john wick john wick two john wick three colon parabellum and john wick chapter four like it's there's no system they're pulling a full like you know halloween on the naming conventions of this franchise yeah like it's still clear the order but i don't know I'm afraid whenever they do the fifth one that they'll do something weird. And I know they're doing the prequel series, which I'm just pretending doesn't exist because Mel Gibson has been cast in it. And I don't oh, want to like no. dislike the. Yeah, I know. I don't want to like dislike the John Wick franchise, but also like, what are you doing? Yeah. What, what are you doing? Why are you what? doing this? But I want to see John Wick 4. I just haven't yet because I was traveling abroad and right. seeing a movie was not high <laughs> on the to-do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not hanging out like in Amsterdam being like, I should go to the movie. You know what theater. I should do for three hours? <laughs> not explore a city I will go to once every five years at most. <laughs> exactly. It's a long movie too. So it's you're like, it's a commitment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. So I'm very happy I was very happy to bring you news on both of those fronts, but especially on the Percy Jackson front. And I just, man, I loved these. I loved these so much. And as sort of like a burned Harry Potter fan (laughs) looking for something, you know, that like the sort of filled that space. I really love these. I cried multiple times. Nice. Yep. Multiple Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. I laugh all the time. And I just love the characters. They're really great. They're good. Now, have you read fan fiction or have you not dipped your toes into those waters quite yet? I haven't because I haven't read anything beyond the five. Ah, and so I am spoilers. scared. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's valid. I think that's valid because I'm pretty sure about certain characters who are existing in the sequel world Mm -hmm. just not necessarily based on details but based on like the affinity people have for certain characters sure so i'm thinking 
yeah, that's probably a safe call because you don't want to get anything accidentally spoiled. So Yeah, there's such a good smart. extended universe here. I want to be able to experience it sort of firsthand. Yeah, no, for sure. Cool. Well, let's make our way through this chapter and a half. We're going to be finishing up chapter two and then doing all of chapter three of the fifth book, Percy Jackson and the Last Olympian, where we last left our heroes. They were underneath the water and Percy and Tyson were going to go visit, as Tyson calls him, daddy. And we will now get into the continuation of chapter two. How does the visit with Poseidon go? Narrator Percy about this says, quote, I know this might sound weird to people with like regular parents, but I'd only seen my dad four or five times in my life and never for more than a few minutes. The Greek gods don't exactly show up for their kids' basketball games. Love the basketball found its way in there. <laughs> Still, I thought I would recognize Poseidon on sight. Line break. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> What was your immediate thought here? Like, were, were you like, what is Poseidon a sea creature? Like, what is... Uh... <laughs> I was incredibly confused. I read mm -hmm. this on a plane and I read this and then I did the thing that happens with these books where I read a sentence and then I'll write a note in my notes about it. And then my brain just like flushes everything because then the next couple of sentences are so good I forget this. So I completely <laughs> forgot when we get to the thing of Percy sees a bunch of people and he doesn't recognize any of them. I completely forgot that part of my brain should have been like one of them is Poseidon. So then <laughs> when there was the reveal that one of them is Poseidon, I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, it's very funny. It's very funny because I think with this certainly as compared to when I went through the Harry Potter books, I've been much better at predicting things. I feel like I understand some of the ebbs mm -hmm. and flows of YA books and these are middle grade, but just like I, I get the flow of these books a little bit more and I can yeah. see some of the steps, but I'm so bad with this book of like remembering something that was said four seconds ago because <laughs> I just get <laughs> so into it. I'm so captivated. But yeah, I yeah. completely forgot that I should have been looking out for this because since they did mention basketball, I was thinking, huh, is Uncle Rick a hooper or did he just decide Percy's going to be a hooper? <laughs> is Uncle Rick a big Spurs fan because he's from San Antonio? Is he happy that the Spurs just won the draft lottery to get French mm. tall boy Victor Wembanyama? These are the important questions I'll ask him whenever I get him on the show. But yeah, yeah that's why I forgot that I was supposed to be looking out uh, for a different looking Poseidon. Were you more keen into it? Yeah, I distinctly remember reading this bit because I was 100% like Poseidon is a dolphin. You guys, Poseidon's <laughs> definitely a dolphin. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was intrigued by the dolphin as well. For sure. Now, for anyone, if you don't recall, chapter two is called I Meet Some Fishy Relatives. So uh, very fun <laughs> pun. We continue, though, and narrator Percy lets us know that the temple roof is an open deck that's been turned into a command center. There's a mosaic map on the floor, and it's of the palace and the ocean surrounding it. And it has colored tiles that represent armies and monsters, and they move around to represent their positions. And then also buildings, if they actually topple, they will fall apart and stuff like that. There's a large group of warriors surrounding the map, but none of them look like Poseidon to Percy. And still, I was not keyed into being like, <laughs> well, one of them is. <laughs> These people include a two-tailed merman, an old man, a woman, and then narrator Percy says, quote, and there was a dolphin, just a regular dolphin, but it was staring at the map intently. And this just kind of feels like an action movie where it's just like, there's a guy and a lady and another guy and some sort of creature. Like, it feels very much like some of the comic book movies that have been coming out of late. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. And like, it is 
funny. It's definitely funny that there's just like a dolphin there. I think Mm -hmm. the dolphin is also the best choice for Rick here. That is the funniest animal that could just be sort of like (laughs) hanging out there because then you imagine that like little chittering dolphin sound and it just Mm -hmm. like making that sound and everybody's like, ah, yes, the battle. Uh The battle uh rages below us and it's just like (laughs) making that dolphin noise. So like Mm -hmm. very, very well chosen, very well chosen. And in my ears, the dolphin noise that does get made was the dolphin screech from the Spongebob episode where cursing (laughs) is replaced with a dolphin Mm -hmm. noise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. So the old man commands someone named Delphin. And when I read this, I said, please don't be the Dolphin. Please <laughs> please don't tell me the Dolphin's name is Delphin. Someone named Delphin to send Palemon and his shark legion to the Western Front to fight the Leviathans. And Thomas Hobbes was in shambles after hearing this. Uh, Thomas Hobbes wrote the Leviathan? Uh. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> No, I'm not that smart because I did have to Google, did Thomas Hobbes or John Locke write (laughs) The Leviathan? Because I know that I read those in high school. I could not tell you anything about either of them. Mm. Uh, The only thing I can tell you from that era of high school AP literature was that Walt Whitman sucks. (laughs) That's all I can know. That's my big takeaway. And that's the best takeaway you possibly could have had. Really just like aced it. A plus. A plus work. Yep. Dude's boring. Give me more WBB Du Bois. That guy slaps. He's great. That guy slaps. (laughs) Uh, Incredible. Anyway, Thomas Hobbes is very upset that they're fighting Leviathans, unless the Leviathan's a bad thing, probably, in the whatever the Leviathan is. Anyway, I don't remember anything, but it turns out that the dolphin is Delphin, and I wrote mm. in my notes, all caps, the dolphin's name is Delphin. <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards, this better be a Greek mythological character, otherwise I will be furious at Uncle Rick for mailing it in. Sure. Thankfully, we will learn that he was not mailing it in. But I was thinking, you know, at least D.D. the Dodo was kind of a goofball, so the (laughs) goofing of the name would make sense. Sure. I was wondering if I would have to talk to Dr. Moya about the myth element here, but we will soon learn about Delphin. Right. So the Dolphin chatters in response, a la Spongebob, but Percy can understand that it is agreeing and then it swims away. It calls the old guy Lord, which tips Percy off that this old man is Poseidon and he cannot believe it and neither can Mike Schubert from the past. He was floored. (laughs) It looks to Percy like Poseidon has aged 40 years. Percy checks that this guy is Poseidon and Poseidon confirms. Percy asks what happened. Tyson nudges Percy and shakes his head. And look at Tyson, who now has social skills. Oh, Tyson, yeah. Tyson's king of the saying up. things awkward. Look at his yeah. growth. <laughs> That's growth. <laughs> Poseidon tells Tyson, no, 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 it's okay. And then he apologizes to Percy for his appearance and explains that the war has been tough on him. Percy in a semi-boneheaded moment, reminds Poseidon that he's immortal so he can look any way he wants. So why would he choose to look like this? Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, I'm sure he thought of that one, (laughs) Percy. And then he goes, oh, right. Right. Oh, I forgot. uh, I forgot that I I have lived these many thousands of years (laughs) as an immortal god. Thank you so much, my favorite son. Oh, you're right. (laughs) Poseidon says that he reflects the state of his realm, and right now things are not ideal. Poseidon wants to do a round of introductions, and he says that Percy just missed Lieutenant Delphin, God of the Dolphins, and I wrote, oh, thank the gods. So Rick didn't pick this name. Thank the gods, specifically the God of the Dolphins. 
Delphin. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, him. Delphin. Yeah. Bless up. Please, Dolphins, don't <laughs> be up. mean to me. Enjoy <laughs> what I did learn the other day, that dolphins can get high by chewing pufferfish and ingesting oh. the toxins of pufferfish. Wow. It's one of the only, I think, instances where people have documented animals taking recreational drugs. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Shout so out to just dolphins. getting together with their friends. Just chewing vibing. on some bufferfish. Getting some snacks. Watching a movie. Laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Pulling up a silly film. <laughs> yeah. Laughing about it. Yeah. And the, little, the, 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 and the dolphin laugh from SpongeBob. It's back. It's back. Uh, yeah. yeah it's it's back. Right. Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> so then. After talking about Delphin, Poseidon introduces, quote, my er wife, Amphitrite, or Amphitrite. I don't Couldn't know how to you. pronounce any Greek things. Nope. Mm-mm, nope. No <laughs> way. But I'm assuming Dr. Moya or Red could tell me. He begins to intro her to Percy, but then she very coldly states that she is needed in the battle and then mm-hmm. leaves. So kind of a tough first impression. Sure. But. Percy understands. He feels awkward about it, but he can't blame her given the circumstances of the whole, hey, this is my kid that I had with someone else. And I don't know, based on the Poseidon and her mythology, if they were together for a long time and Sally was an adultery thing or if it was before. Regardless, I understand why she's kind of grumpy and doesn't want to meet this kid, but uh, not a great look. It's not a great time because, like, genuinely very much at war right here, like, actively blowing stuff up while we're having a casual conversation at war. Yeah. But it was never going to be a good time for Percy to meet these guys. Like, Mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah, she's got other things to do, so I get it. Now, speaking of awkward, Poseidon then introduces Percy to Triton, his other son. And other is in italics. I want to know the kind of emphasis that Poseidon put on that. Because if... (laughs) I'm Triton, even though Triton, as we will soon learn, is a big jerk. I wouldn't want to be introduced as, hi, this is Triton, my other son. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it sort of also paints in a new light that thing where Poseidon told Percy that he's his favorite son. Mm -hmm. Where, like, Mm -hmm. it was was always kind of a side eye, but, like, this kid, (laughs) this guy sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Triton, not ideal. So he was the green-scaled, double-tailed guy that Percy saw. And he replies, your son and heir. And I was like, all right, but it's not a competition. Calm down. Yeah, take a step back if you can't even step with your fish tails. But (laughs) get out of here. Percy feels embarrassed, but I don't think he should because this is completely out of line. Right. Percy tells Triton... Just tell me what to do. Tell me how I can help. And Triton smiles in amusement and turns to Poseidon saying, I will see to the front line, father. Don't worry. I, in italics, will not fail. And two things here. First off, I don't think Percy's failed. So this is a weird dig to throw. But second, I have to hand it to Uncle Rick because it only ever takes two quotes for you to decide if you are in love (laughs) with the character or you want that character to die immediately. (laughs) And two quotes in, I'm like, yep, Triton, I hate him. I hope he dies a painful death in whatever battle he's about to fight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I could see him getting taken out by the giant squid or, you know, the extra big lobster. Mm -hmm. That's like a slightly humiliating way to go as well. The, like, really big lobster. Mm -hmm, But, mm -hmm. yeah, Percy definitely hasn't failed. Percy's like, oh, you mean I just blew up an entire ship with, like, Kronos on it. Have you ever tried to fight Kronos? Huh? Yeah. Huh? Uh, sorry, I've done it <laughs> huh? a couple of times already. Ugh. <laughs> 
So Triton then nods to Tyson politely. Percy feels disrespected. Why don't I get the polite nods? And then Triton swims away. Poseidon sighs, really becoming Poseidon. And he turns (laughs) (laughs) turns his staff back into his trident and apologizes to Percy for that exchange. And I was wondering, why did he change it back to a trident to make an apology? But that's not why he did it. He did it because then there's a big old orange sea serpent that swims overhead that is ready to chomp. And Poseidon basically no look zaps it and turns it into a million goldfish. Shout out to repopulation, baby. (laughs) He's so cool. Yeah, he's pretty sweet. The no look zap is pretty good. We've already got the big blue zap from earlier. Poseidon's good. He's, I'm a yeah, fan. Zappy. Very, he's a very zappy very guy. Zappy. <laughs> and then Poseidon, as if nothing happened, continues his sentence, which is just the coolest move possible. And he states that his family is nervous as the battle against Oceanus is not going swimmingly. <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> Wrote that in my notes on the airplane and fist pumped to myself. <laughs> Percy checks to see if he's referring to Oceanus, the titan of the sea. And I would have loved if Poseidon went, no, the other no. guy. <laughs> the lesser known Oceanus. Yeah. No, no, no. Just some guy who goes by Oceanus. He's not that scary. Poseidon confirms after pointing to a giant merman with bullhorns on the mosaic. Poseidon explains that Oceanus was neutral in the first war, but Kronos has brought him to the dark side for this one. And Mm. it's an especially bad sign because Oceanus waited to commit until he was certain he would join the winning side, which is the old Kevin Durant approach for anyone who listens to horse. (laughs) Oh, got him. Percy thinks that he looks silly, the Oceanus little figurine, riding a crawfish-drawn chariot and... He also has a live serpent for a sword. Feels like a bad sword. Feels very wobbly. Very wobbly. Definitely not stabby at all. Mm -hmm. Definitely unwieldy. A little bit difficult to understand what direction it's going in, I would think. Feels more like a whip than a sword. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I also just kind of want to know, like, how many crawfish does it take to... Mm. <laughs> yeah. To draw this chariot. In my brain, I thought it was two giant crawfish, but I don't know if the book actually says that or not. I don't think it says. Oh, I... That's funny if it was just a <laughs> swarm of them. I'm going to control F my PDF for crawfish because I'm assuming it only shows up once in this book. It does show up twice, but I think it's. Yeah, okay, it's it's within two pages of each other. Yeah, just as he appeared to be riding a chariot pulled by crawfish, and instead of a sword, he wielded a live serpent. Yeah, so I'm imagining it's like thousands of crawfish. (laughs) (laughs) They're all swimming in different directions. And he's got this sword that's just kind of like flopping around, and he does look, he does look silly. You're right, you're right, Percy. (laughs) I'm imagining, what was the thing that people did where they like collectively played Pokemon on Twitch, where all the comments were deciding if, what direction they went in and stuff. That was like a whole thing. I'm imagining that, where just all the crawfish, there's a thousand of them, and they are all going in different directions. They're all on each a tiny little leash connected to (laughs) the reins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. Well, we'll just have to wait for the TV show to see how they do it, because you always really (laughs) in Uncle Rick's brain. But I like thousands of crawfish instead of two big boys. (laughs) Uh, Tyson agrees 
that Oceanus looks silly, saying that Poseidon will tie his snake sword into knots. Poseidon smiles and thanks them for the votes of confidence, but he says that they have been fighting for a year now and his powers are drained. And meanwhile, Oceanus keeps releasing ancient monsters to fight some of them that Poseidon can't even remember. Battle's been going on for a while. It's a long time. A long time. Yeah, a full year? Ugh. It gross. seems like a long time for like Percy to not know that like things were getting this dire down there. Yeah. In Percy's defense, he's been a little busy, but <laughs> <laughs> That's it is true. a long time. Yeah. Percy then hears a crash in the distance, and it's someone fighting, as you alluded to earlier, a giant lobster. And I do like that in this undersea war, half of them are classical Greek beasts like Oceanus and Titans and all this stuff. And then sometimes it's like, yeah, there's a big lobster. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big serpent. Exactly. Uh, Large crap. Like, I also like that it's just big ocean thing. (laughs) Exactly. I do wonder if really big lobster, like, is a canonically Greek something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Lobsteris or whoever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Classically Lobsteris as we know him. Mm -hmm. We get the big fight between Delphin and Lobsteris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the person that is fighting this giant lobster is someone who is loaded with limbs, meaning it's our old pal Briaris. He is putting in work on the lobster, but he also looks quite tired. He at one point chucks the lobster off a mountain into darkness and then swims after it to continue to punch it. Briaris, wow, what a 180. What a turnaround this guy has had. He's so great. And like, I try really hard not to think about what he actually looks like because it is mildly, if not much more than mildly horrifying. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of arms. Mm -hmm. You know who's going to have a tough time? The CGI team... (laughs) For the Disney Plus show <laughs> come season four. Yeah. That's a lot of arms. Yeah. Someone's going to have to program or at least copy paste a hundred arms. They just got one guy for that. That's the arm guy. <laughs> Briari's yeah, arm Craig. guy. Craig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if that shows up in the credits? Because they have all the specialized things. And sometimes it's super specialized. Like I remember when I saw Tron the movie, Jeff Bridges had three hairstylists. And Incredible. I was like, yes. Incredible. Like Jeff Bridges hairstylist number one, number two, number three. I would absolutely love if Briari's in the CGI, it said Briari's hand guy, mm-hmm. Craig. Yep. <laughs> Craig, he's really putting in the work. Even if that doesn't show up in the credits. Like, what if that's on LinkedIn? Like, oh, yeah, worked for Disney Pixar. Responsibilities included Briaris' arms. Exactly. There were a hundred of them. It was hard. Yeah. And then he becomes the best hand arm animator CGI guy in the world Mm -hmm. and goes from there to just do all everybody's hands and arms. They go to him for that. That's his thing He becomes the specialist. Yeah, this is his thing. Craig. Go, Craig. Craig. Now, Poseidon asks Percy about the mission. Percy details it, and after getting to the part about losing Beckendorf on the mission... I do have to say, Mike, I was listening to an episode the other day in preparation for this, and you were like, nobody's important has died, like, you know, Beckendorf, and I just started screaming in my kitchen, screaming out loud. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I was like, oh, we'll... We'll get there. We'll talk about that one. Uh That was very sad. That was very sad. Yeah, a tough loss. And after Percy talks about said tough loss, he looks around and he realizes after seeing all of the cots and makeshift graves that there are potentially thousands of lives lost in this year-long war. Mm. So it's a tough Mm -hmm. situation all over, not just his good friend Beckendorf, who I miss so dearly. Shout out to Beckendorf. 
Percy feels both angry and helpless. Poseidon assures him that he isn't to blame for Beckendorf's death and that what they did will significantly disrupt Kronos' army. So he was not lost in vain. Right. Percy doesn't feel 100% great about it, though, because he doesn't think that they killed Kronos. And he does double check with Poseidon, like, uh, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. He's, he's still alive, right? Like, right. We didn't get him. And Poseidon confirms he is still alive. Yeah. He says that it did buy their side some time, though. Percy regrets killing some of the demigods who were on the boat, but Poseidon tells him not to because they chose to fight with Kronos. But Percy yells that they were brainwashed and he just feels like trash because they're dead and Kronos is still at large. So was it really worth it? And I understand this, but I also understand Poseidon's perspective of, look, man, some people are going to make bad choices and they're going to get caught in the crossfire and you can't get super distraught over that. Exactly. And they did, you know, like they knew going in that that probably wasn't going to win them the whole war against Kronos. Mm -hmm. They knew that, but it was like a really significant damage to the cause for Kronos. And also like as much as you can slow down this attack on New York, slow it down. Right. Totally. Totally. I like New York. It's nice. I wouldn't want anything to happen to it. It's where we live and never hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Tyson puts his arm around Percy, and narrator Percy notes that if anyone else had done this, he would have tried to push them, but he doesn't for Tyson. He says he doesn't because Tyson's big and strong, but I think it's also because he loves Tyson. It's definitely (laughs) because he loves Tyson and their brothers, and it's so cute and sweet. Adorable. Tyson says, not your fault, brother. Kronos does not explode good. Next time, we will use a big stick. Strategic mindset. I love it. From Tyson. It's a plan. It's a good plan. He's making plans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Big stick. Teddy Roosevelt would love it. Poseidon (laughs) tells Percy that Beckendorf wasn't lost in vain. Their efforts bought Olympus time to deal with the bigger threat. Percy asks, uh, what's that? And Poseidon says, it's only chapter two, Percy. We can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) What he actually says is that Percy's had enough sorrow for one day and tells him to ask Chiron when he returns to camp. Yeah. So what he really said was, it's only chapter two, and Chiron said that I can't tell you the rest of what's going to happen. <laughs> Chiron, the plot monster. He's always there with his plot arrows. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Percy doesn't like that notion. He wants to stay here and help, but Poseidon refuses, saying that Percy is needed elsewhere. Tyson tries to back up Percy, but it's of no use. Poseidon insists that Percy return to Camp Half-Blood and tell Chiron that it is time. Percy asks for what, and Poseidon says to hear the entire prophecy. We're finally here. Ah, That's when you know it's getting real, Mm -hmm. when the protag gets to hear the whole prophecy. The whole big thing, baby. Percy asks Poseidon, what if this is the final decision? And Poseidon tells him, go, this isn't it. He notes that he doesn't know what his final decision will be, but he knows that it's on the surface. He also adds that Camp Half-Blood clearly has a spy, so Percy must sort that out. And ho, 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 Juniper, back on the table as potential spy. (laughs) I'll just have to see. There is a spy, so I'm still on the lookout for someone, and I don't have any guess better than Juniper yet. So uh, we shall see. Poseidon says that they will hold the fort down here and implores Percy not to worry. Tyson grabs Percy's hand and says that he will miss Percy. And I just wrote, no, not another book without Tyson. (laughs) Makes me sad. I figured he'll come back in the end, though. So hopefully it's just no middle of the book without Tyson, but we will see. Poseidon tells Tyson that they need him in the armory. Tyson doesn't love that, but he gives Percy a big hug and tells Percy to not let monsters kill him. And then he leaves in tears after Percy nods at him. Tyson just can't keep it together. 
Percy then tells Poseidon to let Tyson fight because clearly he hates being in the armory. And I wrote, oh, Poseidon's going to give some crap about keeping him safe. And that is exactly (laughs) what Poseidon does. (laughs) Percy says that you should trust Tyson, not try to protect him. And I think that's a nice little sentiment to have. It is. The map then shows that Oceanus approaches, so Poseidon figures he must go. Percy's worried. Poseidon promises that he will hold the fort and asks Percy if he still has the sand dollar he gave him at the end of book four. Percy confirms by showing he's added it to his camp necklace. He still has no clue what to spend it on, but he's got it. Poseidon says that he hopes to celebrate Percy's birthday with him next week, warns that he must assume his godly form, wishes Percy goodbye and good luck. Percy says goodbye, turns, and then channels the water to bring him to the surface while the fight begins. And that's the end of chapter two. And before we get into chapter three, we'll take our little mineral break, which we call the Cash Olympian. Ho-ho! Fun deals! Live show announcements. Maybe Sequoia will be at one of the shows. That's the plan. Hello and welcome to the Cashed Olympian, New York City edition, Shubio edition, Shubio getting even more stuff in it edition. The sound quality only getting better and better as Kelly and I add more things to this home studio, but I'm here to talk about a few things in regards to the podcast. First, an update on something I brought up last week. We do have a new P.O. box, which means a couple of things. One, Kelly and I will be resuming sending out patron rewards. Just a reminder in case you were unaware, we do have Perseolator merch and it is exclusive to patrons, you can get two Perseolator stickers and then also a Perseolator enamel pin if you join at a certain tier. There's other physical rewards. You get a special holographic sticker if you join the Olympic Court at our highest tier, the Ultra God tier. But... Because we've got a new P.O. Box, that means we can ship things again, so we will be shipping things out. So if you've been wondering, where are my rewards? It's been a little bit. Well, they are going to be in the mail as I speak slash as you listen. But also, having a new P.O. Box means if you do want to send something to me, you can. Obviously, you're under no obligation to do so, but this is just logistical purpose-wise. If that was something you wanted to do, we've got a new P.O. Box, and it's up on the Contact Us page on thenewsolympian.com. Now, for a couple of things that come up in this episode, we in this episode discuss the meme of Nun Pizza with Left Beef, but I forgot that the name of it was Nun Pizza with Left Beef, so we refer to it as Plain Pizza with Left Meat, which is not as funny because Plain Pizza is just kind of like a term for regular pizza, though I would call that a cheese pizza, that's just me. However, I want to let it be known that I do now know the proper name. It's Nun Pizza with Left Beef. Shout out to Sherry, who when she sent over the edit, added an audio clip of her explaining that she loves Nun Pizza with Left Beef, the meme. And I'm glad that the editor of the show has the correct head on their shoulders. Absolutely wonderful stuff. Now, also in this episode later on, I will talk about Percy not knowing Midwest cities. And when I list Midwest cities, I won't list any. I... (laughs) I think I say Boise and Sioux Falls. Now, according to Google, Sioux Falls is at least in the Midwest because apparently the Dakotas are in the Midwest. But Boise is in Idaho. Idaho's not in the Midwest, I don't think. It's funny because the timing of this, I recorded this before I did a run of shows in the Midwest where I talked to Eric Hamilton Schneider, who is from the Midwest, and I asked him, what's the Midwest? And he said that it's not necessarily hard and fast to find, but I don't think any of the cities that I mention would be ones that he would identify as being in the Midwest. The Midwest is interesting and confusing, and it's not really in the Midwest of the United States. But I think it's funny to leave it in because me being from the Northeast, not knowing what the Midwest is, just shows that me and Percy are one and the same. (laughs) 
Now, earlier I talked about the patron-exclusive perks. You can get those patron-exclusive perks by going to the newslympian.com slash Patreon and joining. We have a lot of fun things already there. You get access to everything that's been posted, depending on whatever tier you join. You get all the old stuff that's in that tier, so you can get hours, maybe even days of content. And also, there's so much more fun stuff to come that I still need to upload, but I want to give a shout-out to the folks who have joined most recently. So shout-out to our newest Super God Tier patrons, Alyssa Harrison and It's a Secret. Shout out to our newest God tier patrons, Shannon Turner, Haley, and Cooper Shores. And shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Mjorge and Megan Turnes. Thank you all so much for your support. May, <sighs> Atlas has the name of Atlas, but he doesn't feel like he would be good at using an Atlas. Regardless, may Atlas bless you that you know where the Midwest is and you know what Midwest cities are. <laughs> Now, if you're all caught up on the new Olympian and you're looking for new content to consume, the Patreon content isn't enough, you need more. Well, I make a whole bunch of other podcasts. I'm an independent podcast boy. One of the podcasts that I make that has loads of episodes is Potterless. It is basically the precursor to the new Olympian. It's a similar structure, but I did it for the Harry Potter books and everything else because I had never consumed those things when I was a kid. So it's me going through them for the first time as an adult. We recently put up a new episode. It was from a live show that I did in Milwaukee where I did some comedic TED Talk style things. I've got new episodes on the horizon, going to be posting at least one in July. So if you want to check that out, you can check it out. There's over 200 episodes up, so there's lots of stuff to listen to. You can search for Potterless wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, PotterlessPodcast.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Boise, don't be surprised if you hear an ad that identifies that you are not actually in the Midwest. But when those ads are complete, we will get back to this episode of the Newest Olympian. This episode of The Newest Olympian is brought to you by Tab for a Cause. Now, if you are like me, Mike Schubert, you like to use the internet a lot and you like to use tabs a lot because your brain enjoys having things separate on different tabs. And over the course of the day, that will have you open a lot of different tabs. Let's say you want to channel this chaotic energy into good. How could you do that? You could do that with Tab for a Cause. Literally the easiest way to raise money for charity that I can think of, you go to Tab for a Cause org slash TNO and you install it in your browser. And then every time you open a tab, you raise money for charity. Each time you open a tab, you will see a pretty picture, usually a very nice landscape photo. You also might see some ads in the corner, but those ads raise money for charity and you get to choose what charities get supported. It's very cool. I've been using it for years. It is a really nice thing because I open and close lots of tabs throughout the day. I am a person who uses the internet for work. So I am very often on the internet because I use it for work and also for fun. So the fact that I open a whole bunch of tabs a day is cool because that means I'm raising a bunch of money for charity. So again, go to tab for a cause, T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E.org slash T-N-O, and then install it, and you can start raising money for charity in the easiest way possible, just like I've been doing for years today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey 
And we're back, and we're here to discuss chapter three. I get a sneak peek at my death. So I guessed that it would be a premonition dream situation, which mm. is funny that this was my guess, seeing that a couple pages ago yep. we talked about talking to Chiron about something. I probably mm -hmm. should have been uh, tipped to what yeah. telling Chiron it's time means. But look, sometimes <laughs> I'm too excited. It was a little bit in the text. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say straight up like, hello, you should ask Chiron about that big prophecy. <laughs> or no, he did. Just he kidding. Did. What am I talking he about? Did. Just, he did. He did. <laughs> He did. He did. He said the great prophecy. It's time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep, yep, it, was, yep, yep. it was in the text. It, it was, was in, in the text. text. <laughs> Literally in the text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sherry, keep all of this in. Let me look silly. <laughs> gotta stay humble. <laughs> gotta stay humble. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Percy returns to Camp Half-Blood and he is immediately the talk of the camp, partly because of the dramatic entrance that is only ever made by demigods, gods, and extremely lost pizza delivery guys. I gotta know. I gotta know everything about the lost pizza delivery guy. Mike, <sighs> this is following me into my everyday life, into my dreams. Yeah. I must mm -hmm. know everything about the lost pizza delivery guy. Yeah, narrator Percy about it says, quote, it's happened, dash, but that's another story. I'm sorry. Percy, you got to tell me that yeah, story this, right now. No, this, you can't just say, <laughs> no, but I'll tell you, like, no, you got to tell, you got to tell me right now. This is more important than anything. I don't care. The world is ending, your birthday, prophecy, blah, blah, blah. What happened with this pizza guy? My immediate thought upon reading this was that the Hermes Cabin folks ordered a pizza. Like the Hermes mm -hmm, Cabin mm -hmm. folks <laughs> played this prank on the poor pizza delivery guy by giving him specific directions to get to camp to see if he could get through. Ooh. That was my immediate thought was this was a Hermes uh -huh, cabin uh -huh. prank. But I do need to know everything a lot about him. You know, his name, what happened, mm -hmm. where he's what at now. What the pizza now. order was. I imagine if it was, was the Hermes cabin that they would be the people from one of my favorite memes, which is when someone did the Domino's order where it was a plain pizza with left meat. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a, a good, good one. one. <laughs> So I would imagine, oh. and if anyone's confused, just Google plain pizza, pizza left, left meat, meat. And you gotta you'll get do a great it. know your meme page that explains <laughs> it. Man, I haven't thought about that in so long. <laughs> I think about it quite often. <laughs> plain pizza uh. left meat is just, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, that's it for the movie watch party. We're getting plain <laughs> pizza plain left meat. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get it from a good place in New York like Scars or Prince Street. Right, <laughs> we'll exactly. see if they'll make <laughs> high-quality plain pizza left me. Oh, good. <laughs> Gosh. But yeah, I've often joked about if I do get Uncle Rick on the podcast, the very important questions that I will ask him. I'm going to ask this man very silly questions for 60 minutes or as long as he'll have me. Skyrocketing to the top is, what happened with the pizza guy? Pizza guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, oh, we got to know. We got to know. We just got to know. And Plaguing there's all these little stories. Thought. Yeah. There's all these little stories that could be put into a compilation book called That's Another Story. And it's just like <laughs> three page hitters from Percy telling oh, all these little stories. And I would look, love it. if you need someone to partner up with, I know, Uncle Rick, you've partnered up with other authors like wonderful author and wonderful person Mark Oshiro. I am not an accomplished author like Mark already was by the time you started working with him. <laughs> However, if you want to take a chance on a professional talker, <laughs> you've come to the right place. <sighs> anyway, 
Percy has made this dramatic entrance through the ocean, which is part of the reason why he's the talk of the camp. And the other talk is because everyone thinks something cool is about to happen. He's going to have good, not sad news. Mm. Connor Stoll is the lookout. He falls out of a tree in excitement upon seeing Percy, which is adorable. And I hope he's okay, but also very funny. Love the Stolls. Love them. Love them. Love them. Always a fun thing to remember is that they are brothers, not twins, even though they are described as looking identical. (laughs) (laughs) He blows the conch horn and runs to greet Percy. Unfortunately, he asks what happened to Beckendorf and one look at Percy's face and he knows what's up and he immediately is worried about Selena because (gasps) Connor stole a good friend. Yeah. Big prankster, but good friend. Good friend. People come rushing in. Percy is assuming that they are thinking he saved the day and maybe even brought souvenirs with him. He stops at the dining pavilion and awaits their arrival because he doesn't feel the need to rush forward to deliver bad news. And then he does a little bit of scene setting for any unhinged person who began their journey with book five of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. (laughs) I'm sure some folks have. There were a couple people who I did ask, if you've read the Demigod Files first, send me an email. And there were a couple people who were like, hi, hello. Nice. (laughs) Nice, 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 nice. Now, there is one thing of note, though, during this scene setting Did I miss that the big house is canonically painted sky blue? Because that was a detail I did not remember. I think it was in one, maybe. It probably was. I just forgot that it was sky blue. I always imagined it being white with like a red roof, big barn Mm. vibes. But yeah, it's sky blue, which is very cute and adorable. I did love this like getting the layout of Camp Half-Blood again, though, because Mm -hmm, you just mm -hmm. like are again hit with sort of like the enormity of the thing. Yep. And... It helps you sort of double down on the sadness of, like, yeah. the few people who remain. Yeah, his next description makes it extra sad because what Percy says is that the biggest indicator of war happening at Camp Half-Blood is not the condition of the buildings because they look pretty much the same. But the real way you know that a war is going on is that there is a much smaller number of campers due to some folks leaving, some dying, and some joining the enemy. So just a big gut punch of, oh, ugh. yeah. Chiron is the first to arrive, and he's wearing a shirt that says, my other car is a centaur. This doesn't make any sense. Um, no. That has to be a bumper sticker on a car, right? Sure, uh, but I also think it's even funnier. (laughs) 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 Because it is contextually incorrect. (laughs) It's just, if you have the thing that says, my other thing is a thing... Right. It has to be on a thing, like the pens that right. we sell on the TNO merch store, which you should get. They're wonderful and lovely, and you can also get them in live shows. You come to live shows. They say my other pen is Riptide because it's a pen. I can't make right. enamel pins that say it or right. a T-shirt. It wouldn't make any sense. Um. Yep, I thought this was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, maybe I should be less of a curmudgeon and, and think it's funny because it does not make any sense. I just sort of wonder where he got the shirt. Like, who is who is selling this shirt? Because this shirt seems to have just like a real niche audience, you know? Yeah. I wonder. <laughs> it's so niche. Do we think Chiron uses one of those make your own shirts websites? And he does the thing where like, for some of them, you can just order one shirt and it's like $35. Yeah. But do you yeah. think he's doing that? <laughs> he's making custom shirts. <laughs> I mean, he ha- he's had shirt like interesting shirts in the past if mm-hmm. i'm oh not yeah there's a lot up. of like cheesy sort of things but this one is hyper hyper niche he's got good t-shirt games so i would say not only is he designing his own shirts he has a store it's his <gasps> store he sells t-shirts he designs the shirts he has all of them he has one of all of them and then he sells them wow 
Okay. It's a side hustle. Yeah, you know, hey, got to pay the bill somehow. <laughs> got to afford those Dean Martin CDs somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's wearing this wonderful shirt. They do need to release the Chiron collection eventually when they start upping the merch game. Oh, and yeah. like that's got to be a thing. That has yeah. to actually be a thing. He opens with Percy, thank the gods, and then goes, but where? And that's just a, that's a big oof. Mm. That's a big, yeah. big oof. Narrator Percy then hits us with a doozy of a different nature, more of a fun doozy. Quote, Annabeth ran in right behind him, and I'll admit my heart did a little relay race in my chest when I saw her. It's not that she tried to look good. We'd been doing so many combat missions lately, she hardly brushed her curly blonde hair anymore. And she didn't care what clothes she was wearing, usually the same old orange camp t-shirt and jeans, and once in a while, her bronze armor. Her eyes were stormy gray. Most of the time, we couldn't get through a conversation without trying to strangle each other. Still, just seeing her made me feel fuzzy in the head. Last summer, before Luke had turned into Kronos and everything went sour, there had been a few times when I thought maybe, dot, 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 well, that we might get past the strangle each other phase. <laughs> that whole bit and you have not heard because the episode has not come out yet but I am stressed by the love triangle between Rachel Elizabeth Dare Percy and Annabeth because like look I know it's yeah. going to end up with Percy and Annabeth I know that's going to happen and I'm still really stressed out about it which shows you how compelling the Rachel Elizabeth Dare angle is I love Rachel Elizabeth Dare oh she's so good which makes it so hard yeah because she's I know. so good I literally in my notes it says take Mike's temp on the Rachel Elizabeth Dare love triangle <laughs> yeah, I, it's <laughs> it is so hard it is so hard. And before book five, I was like, all right, look, I know what they're trying to do. I'm not going to fall for sure. it. And then after that, driving with Rachel's but Dare chapter, uh-huh. I just sat in my chair, just groaning to Kelly for 28 consecutive <laughs> minutes <laughs> yeah. about how good it is, which means how bad it is, which means how good it is. It's, exactly. It's tough. distressing. It's, it's really distressing. Tough. It's really, really hard. And exactly. I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? <sighs> Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But it's tough, man. It's really tough. <laughs> anyway, I was very surprised that Percy didn't have any sort of Rachel's but their related comment, though, because right. clearly he had been having the feelings and wondering and all that. So I'm surprised he didn't say anything about like, oh, no, you know, but anyway, too distracted. He's got the hubba hubba's for A.B. Oh, it's hard. We got to progress. We'll be here for another 20 consecutive <laughs> minutes of me just going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Annabeth asks Percy what happened and then grabs Percy's arm and uh, begins to ask, is Luke? And before she can say, okay, Percy responds the sh- <laughs> just so that he doesn't have to hear it. I respect how much he hates him. It's so yeah. good. He responds that the ship blew up, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And then a rarely unkempt hair clad Selena bursts through the crowd and she asks, where's Charlie? And all Percy can do is look at Chiron, who then turns to Selena and says they can talk at the big house, but she knows what's up because it is incredibly obvious. It's incredibly obvious. And it's so, so, so sad. It's really sad. It's really, really sad. And she just starts repeating no, 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 which is honestly all you can do. Yeah. Uh, she bursts into tears. Everyone else is silent. Narrator Percy says that Beckendorf's loss hurts more than the rest. 
And he, as the narrator says, quote, with Beckendorf gone, it felt like someone had stolen the anchor for the entire camp. And uh, Uncle Rick's really good at writing because that's a powerful quote. It really is. It's just a really good turn of phrase that just really puts it in perspective because, yeah, every time we did learn about Beckendorf, it was kind of like, yeah, he's the guy that stays at the camp. He's the guy that fortifies the defenses. He's mm-hmm. the guy that looks over Mrs. O'Leary. He's the guy that's building armor. He's the guy that's always around. He's the guy that everybody likes. Yeah. And it's just like the most supremely likable person at camp is gone. And that really sucks. It really does. Yeah, he was just, he was so... It was something like beyond popularity. It's not that he just was popular. It's that he just like every single one of those campers probably genuinely cared about him. So it's going to hit everyone so hard. And I think Uncle Rick did a really great job of like we got like maybe two sentences of the relationship between Beckendorf and Selena Mm -hmm. at like the beginning of this book. And I'm invested enough in it to be, like, so sad for her as well. Yeah, yeah. I agree that it wasn't, like, that much of a relationship. Most of the relationship, yeah, we have some cute moments in the Demigod Files, but it's kind of like a off-scene sort of thing. Sure. But it is still so cute from what we do see in here that it's really sad. It's a big gut Very punch. sad. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we... Continue on, despite the sadness. Mm -hmm. Clarice and the Ares cabin then come through, and she puts her arm around Selena. Narrative Percy reveals to us that they've begun a budding friendship ever since Selena gave Clarice advice about, quote, her first boyfriend, which I'm making sure is Chris Rodriguez. Yeah. But uh, that's what I assume as we, you know, will will happen. I want to just make sure that it's Chris. There wasn't someone before Chris or like. (laughs) Or after or. Yeah, yeah. just just first. Time has passed. Yeah, I'm. Guessing what Percy means is like Chris Rodriguez is Clarice's first experience with a boyfriend. So Selena gave her first boyfriend advice, not necessarily like Clarice, now a serial monogamist. Right. uh, (laughs) Keeps dating people (laughs) canonically. Yeah. So she encourages Selena to go to the big house with her and promises to make her hot chocolate, which is super duper sweet. The crowd disperses, aside from Annabeth and Chiron. Annabeth wipes a tear and says, quote, I'm glad you're not dead, seaweed brain. And he responds, thanks, me too. Very cute. Very cute. Chiron tells Percy that he's sure that he did all that he could. And then he asks for a detailed rundown. And Percy doesn't really want to tell this story again, but he does. And he also describes his Titan brother dream, except for the Nico detail. And I was like, Percy, not again. What happened the last time you lied to Chiron about Nico? Just learn your lesson about this. (laughs) But narrator Percy says that Nico told him to promise not to tell anyone about the plan until he made up his mind. So... Okay, fine, but also it feels like we just went through this a book ago. Right. But Percy gives extra justification to it by saying, quote, and the plan was so scary, I didn't mind keeping it a secret. Now, I really want to know what this plan is because we keep having it be mentioned and alluded to, but we don't know what it is yet. Sure. Tell me the plan. I get that it's a book. Now, here's (laughs) what I said just as... I was trying to guess at the time reading, I just wrote, I feel like it has to involve raising something from the dead, something Mm. underworldy. That's all I got. We'll just move on because you can't spoil anything. Yeah. 
as Molly and Becca say on Pot and Prejudice, I will neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) what most guests on TNO say is, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Chiron says that they must call a war council immediately to discuss the spy and other matters. Percy adds that Poseidon mentioned a bigger threat, one bigger than the Princess Andromeda, that might be the challenge that the unnamed Titan mentioned in his dream. Narrator Percy says Chiron and Annabeth exchanged looks like they knew something I didn't. I hated when they did that. Classic, classic Mm -hmm. Chiron and Annabeth. Classic, classic, classic. Always keeping the plot away from her boy (laughs) Percy and then all of us collectively, the readers. (laughs) Chiron says that they will cover that as well. Percy then tells Chiron that Poseidon told him to tell Chiron that it's time for Chiron to tell Percy the full prophecy. (laughs) Chiron sags his shoulders and says that he's dreaded this day, but he agrees to do so. He says, quote, very well, Annabeth, we will show Percy the truth, all of it. Let's go to the attic. And Percy, as the narrator, reminds us that he's been to the attic three times prior, which is three too many. He wonders how Chiron will get up the ladder. Chiron tells Annabeth to bring it down. And I was like, are they going to bring the Oracle down the ladder? That's weird. And then we'll learn what he means. But I was quite confused. Percy analyzes the trophies. And most notable amongst these trophies is a pair of fuzzy dice that says, quote, stolen from Chrysor's Honda Civic by Gus, son of Hermes. One. Dr. Moya, what is going on? Who's Chrysor? Mm -hmm. Two, why doesn't Chrysor have a Chrysler? Feels like a really obvious sort of car selection to have. Yeah, feels like a very Delphine, Dolphin. (laughs) (laughs) Look, if my name was very close to a car company, I would probably want to get that car. Unless he gets teased by that a lot and he doesn't want people to be calling him, you know, Chrysler with the Chrysler. Right, right. Another trophy there is the Scimitar of Compe, which is labeled as destroyed in the Battle of the Labyrinth, you know, the fourth book. Percy (laughs) asks Annabeth if she remembers Briaris' boulder throws, and Annabeth gives a faint smile and asks if he recalls Grover's panic power move. Oh, so cool. Percy thinks back to the Mount St. Helens kiss with Annabeth, Mm. but then Annabeth clears her throat and says, prophecy, to keep them on task. Boo. (laughs) Now, while describing the Oracle, Narrator Percy reveals that the requirement to have a quest in order to leave Camp Half-Blood has been completely dropped. People have been going on missions and quests all over the place to try and defeat Kronos. Percy wonders what the Oracle will do when revealing the Great Prophecy, since there's usually some dramatic thing that goes along with it, whether that is vomiting out mist or walking through the camp. He wonders, for the Great Prophecy, since it's so grandiose, if the Oracle will begin tap dancing before revealing the big old prophecy. (laughs) Narrative Percy then says, quote, but she just sat there like she was dead, which she was. Yep. Imagine you have to sit through an entire, like, tap dance performance from Mm -hmm. the Oracle. She's been waiting all these years to display her talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Percy turns to Annabeth and asks, why does the Oracle have to be a mummy? Because he's creeped out by it. Annabeth (laughs) explains that she wasn't always a mummy. Originally, the spirit of the Oracle lived inside a beautiful maiden, and it would be passed on from generation to generation. Fifty years ago, this mummy was another beautiful maiden, but she was the last to hold the spirit. Percy asks what happened. Annabeth begins to answer, but then decides to decline. Classic Annabeth. Chiron has trained her so well. So well. Percy asks Annabeth what they do. Annabeth makes a formal request to the Oracle for the Great Prophecy, and then she approaches it and takes a parchment roll out of a 
Native American style medicine bag looking pouch type deal on Mm -hmm. the Oracle's neck. And Percy is in utter disbelief that it was there the whole time. Annabeth says that the time wasn't right and he should believe her because she read it at age 10 and still has nightmares about it. So, oh boy, Indians. Yeah. Percy, in a wonderful response, says, great, can I read it now? (laughs) (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) Yeah, cool, nightmares, whatever. I'm a big boy. I'm 16 almost. Let me read the scary paper. Annabeth instructs him to read it at the War Council. Narrator Percy says, I didn't know it then, but it would be the last time I ever visited the attic. And uh, yeah, dude, what other prophecy do you need to hear besides (laughs) the Great One? Exactly. Can't you just be done with prophecies at that point? Mm -hmm. You probably should have guessed this would be the last time you'd be in the attic. Annabeth and Percy enter the rec room, and there is a full-blown argument going on between the counselors. Clarice is there, and one important note is that her new spear is named Mamer, which is an interesting name. Mm -hmm. She is yelling at Michael Yu, the new Apollo counselor, RIP to our most beloved Lee Fletcher, who we are still mourning the loss of. Right. And some people (laughs) got on my case for not being that sad about him. You know how many times Lee Fletcher was mentioned in book four? How many? Four times. Wow. Yeah. A main character. uh, Not mentioned (laughs) that much. I learned this because on Patreon, I take those Sporkle quizzes where it's like, name all the characters mentioned in a book by number of mentions. Yes. And when he showed up as four, I was like, okay, vindication. All right, guys. He's mentioned four times. Come on. Come on. Four times? Four times. Come on. Yeah. No. Narrator Percy says, quote, Michael stood four feet six with another two feet of attitude, which is a great description. I guess he's got big Napoleon vibes. But he also has scrunched up features that could either be from constantly scowling or from aiming arrows. He is yelling, quote, it's our loot. If you don't like it, you can kiss my quiver. Boo. Boo. Michael, you, Michael, boo. This is bad. (laughs) (laughs) No. Thankfully, I'm not the only one that thinks this is bad. The Stoles fight back laughter, as does Pollux from the Dionysus cabin, Katie Gardner, our new friend from the Demeter cabin, and Jake Mason, our new friend from Hephaestus. I look forward to them all dying at the end of book five and people trying to convince (laughs) me I'm supposed to be sad. (laughs) Selena is still zoned out and her hot chocolate has been completely untouched, just disregarding all the hard work Clarice put into making a nice glass of Swiss Miss. (laughs) Percy yells for them to stop and asks, what is going on? Clarice says that Michael is being a selfish jerk. Michael essentially says, bit rich coming from you, which is my favorite British phrase that I wish I could add into my life more often. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. It's a really good one. And you can at least pass it. Like, I can't say in it, which is also fantastic. I can never pull that off. But I can, without a British accent, pull off bit rich coming from you. And it's it's a good one. It's a really good one. Clarice says that she's only here to support Selena. Otherwise, she would be back at the Ares cabin. Percy is confused. Pollux explains that she won't speak to any of them until this issue is resolved. And she's been at it for three days, which Travis Stoll characterizes as wonderful. Clarice angrily turns to Chiron and asks if her cabin will get what they want or not. Chiron takes Michael Yu's side because, quote, Apollo's cabin has the best claim. He tries to move on to more important matters, but Clarice interrupts to gripe that the Ares cabin is always expected to fight when needed, but they are never allowed to air their grievances. Connor mutters, that would be nice. Clarice (laughs) wonders if she should ask Mr. D, but Chiron says that Dionysus is far too busy with, you know, the war. (sighs) I just like, I hate this turn for Clarice. Honestly, (laughs) I really, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. It's hard for me too, especially when I learned what it was about. Yeah. When it first came up, I was thinking, okay, 
Maybe she's got a good reason. Maybe she's been truly wronged. Maybe they are taking the heiress cabin for granted. And then we learn what it actually is. And it's very silly. It's quite ridiculous. Yeah. Everybody's sort of rightfully a little miffed in this situation. Yeah. It makes the scene make more sense once we get to that part where we learn what's going on. (laughs) Clarice asks the counselors if anyone will side with her. No one does. She turns to Selena and apologizes to her and only her because she didn't mean to get into this right after the loss of Beckendorf. No response from Selena. Clarice tosses her knife on the ping pong table and says that they can fight the war without the help of the Ares cabin because her cabin won't assist until she is satisfied. And then she leaves by saying, have fun dying, which is unfortunately incredibly cool. It's a very good way (laughs) to leave. Not vibing with this look from Clarice, but that is a great thing to say as you storm off. (laughs) Yeah, I'll give it to her. I wrote in my notes in all caps, what is going on? But also, hell yeah. (laughs) Michael Yu says good riddance. Katie Gardner says that this is a disaster if the Aries cabin is going to help them. Travis thinks that she cannot be serious, but Chiron thinks that she is. Percy wants to ask what's going on, but Annabeth mouths to him that she'll tell him later. Again, classic Annabeth. Classic. Chiron settles the counselors and says that Percy has brought the great prophecy and they should all hear it. Percy then begins, quote, a half-blood of the eldest dogs. Annabeth corrects him that it says gods, and Percy explains that when he's nervous while reading, his dyslexia is worse, and I would love to know if that's a thing. If anyone listening is dyslexic and you want to reach out either via email or social media, whatever, is that a thing? I'm always intrigued to learn more about stuff like this. He then correctly says, a half-blood of the eldest gods shall reach 16 against all odds and see the world in endless sleep. The hero's soul cursed blade shall reap. And I just wrote, "Uh uh-oh. Percy, for some reason, thinks that this is Riptide because Chiron told him at one point that Riptide brought sorrow to people in the past. And Mm. uh, have you forgotten about the poorly named sword Backbiter that Kronos fought you with not too long ago? Yeah, that people are literally like that cleaves your soul. From your body? Yeah. It feels like that would have been the more astute guess. You think? Anyway, Percy continues, a single choice shall end his days. And then he has a bit of a struggle over reading preserve, Olympus to preserve or raise. Everyone is silent until Connor asks if raise is good, but he's asking raise with an S. But Selena, of all people, I wasn't expecting her to speak up. She speaks up to say that it's R-A-Z-E, which means to destroy. Mm-hmm. Chiron asks Percy if he now sees why they couldn't tell him the full prophecy. And at this point, I was thinking, all right, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but isn't none of this new information except for that Percy's going to quote unquote die in addition to making the choice? And that is the thing that Chiron yeah. knew Percy would have a tough time with. And that is what Percy has a tough time with. So I get it. But at first reading, I was thinking like, yeah, we kind of know all this already. Yeah. So. And it's like very classic, like prophecy, protagonist. Mm-hmm. There's an element of death usually. So this doesn't like feel surprising from like a reader's standpoint. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it would be probably a little bit alarming if somebody <laughs> was like, <laughs> by the way, and this also, this prophecy says you're going to die. Okay, thanks. <laughs> bye. Have fun dying. You know, <laughs> true, 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 true. Karen basically tells Percy, you had enough on your shoulders. And then Percy finishes his sentence saying, without realizing I was going to die in the end anyway. Yeah, I get it. 
Chiron looks at Percy with sadness, but doesn't console Percy because he knows better. Annabeth tries to look at the situation optimistically, saying that prophecies always have a double meaning, so it might not mean mm-hmm. that Percy's going to literally die. And Percy claps back with, quote, a single choice shall end his days. That has tons of meanings, right? <laughs> Jake Mason, who establishes himself as a smart cookie with this line, suggests that they can stop it by destroying Kronos' scythe since surely that is the cursed blade. Right. Percy hadn't thought about that possibility because he's dense as heck, apparently. Percy! He figures that it's a lost cause either way. As narrator Percy, he says, quote, a blade was supposed to reap my soul. As a general rule, I preferred not to have my soul reaped. (laughs) Incredible, 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 incredible. Chiron suggests that they give Percy some time to process. Percy rejects this offer, though. He's angry, but he's not sure at who. But he doesn't want to worry about his death. He'd rather focus on the spy, a.k.a. Juniper. Mm. We'll have to see. I might have a better guess, but at this point in time, let's just bring back the old guess. Michael Yu is surprised by this. Percy explains the whole situation of how someone knew what was going on with the Princess Andromeda, etc., and then surprisingly, Connor Stoll brings up that they've suspected that there has been a spy for years, citing the Golden Fleece location mm. being known to Luke. And he suggests that it's someone who knew him well, and then, perhaps subconsciously, looks at Annabeth. And then he catches himself doing that, so he tries to look away. And now I'm wondering, is Connor Stoll the spy? Because that could be a bit uh, doth protest too much. But it does feel too easy with him being in the Hermes cabin. Mm. Katie Gardner brings that up, saying, eh, yeah, someone who would know him well would be a cabin mate from the yeah. Hermes cabin. So because of those accusations, I'm feeling like it's not Annabeth and it's not Connor Stoll. It's got to be someone we aren't anticipating, like Grover's girlfriend, Juniper. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Narrator Percy says that Katie Gardner has hated the stoles ever since they decorated the grass roof of Demeter's cabin with chocolate Easter bunnies. It's a really good prank. It's really, really good. The stoles begin to argue with Katie. Selena bangs the table to get them to stop, and she does it so hard that she spills the hot chocolate. And then she says that they are being childish and they are disregarding Beckendorf's passing. She begins to sob, and everyone looks regretful. Pollock says that she's right and that blaming each other won't help. He says that they must search for a silver necklace with a scythe charm on it, as the spy probably has one, and that's how they were Mm -hmm. communicating since Kronos had one. Michael Yu says that they must find the spy before making another plan. And Chiron reveals that Kronos' next attack is approaching. Percy asks if it's the bigger threat. Chiron and Annabeth make eye contact to signify it's time. A lot of it's time going on in these chapters. (laughs) And then Chiron says that they didn't want to tell him until he returned to camp. They wanted to give him time to relax with his dot, dot, dot mortal friends. And Annabeth blushes, alerting Percy that she 1,000% knows that he's been spending time with Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Yep, yep, yep. Tough. That's tough. Look. Percy feels guilty, but then he feels angry because he shouldn't feel guilty because he's allowed to have non-camp half-blood friends, right? Sure. So he asks what's (laughs) up. Chiron sets up an IM with steam and he asks Iris to show them the threat. A second Mount St. Helens explosion shows, with the newscaster revealing that it's larger than last time, and it may not be the last eruption, according to scientists. And this one is way worse because the mountain is completely destroyed, and Percy sees a large form rise from it. 
He hopes that the mist clouds the reality because what he can see terrifies mortals, and even he can't make it out clearly through the ash and the fire, but it appears to be a very large humanoid figure that is big enough to use the Chrysler building as a baseball bat, and as a New Yorker, and as you, a New Yorker now, can confirm, Chrysler building's big. That's a big building. It's it's big. That's big. big. (laughs) Really big. (laughs) That's really big? No, 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 no. No, I don't Mm -mm. like this. (laughs) Mm Mm-mm. Baseball bats usually about 35 inches or so. Uh, so if you want to do some quick proportions, that's a big boy. That's a big boy. It's <laughs> <laughs> a large, large boy. Percy says, quote, it's him, Typhon, hoping that Chiron would say something positive such as, quote, no, that's our huge friend Leroy. He's going to help us. <laughs> A-plus joke. And also an A-plus trivia question. The final question for Percy Jackson trivia should be, what friend did Percy hope Typhon would be in book right. five? And mm-hmm. then the answer is Leroy. Anyone doing Percy Jackson trivia, please steal that. But then also... <laughs> tell everyone in attendance to listen to this cool podcast you're listening to, The New Stolympia. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or name your uh, your trivia team, Leroy. Just Leroy. Oh, yes, just Leroy. Just Leroy. Mm-hmm. Just Leroy. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, that would be a good cosplay. If you dress up like Typhon, but then you wear a name tag that says, hello, my name is Leroy. Leroy. Oh, that's That's good. good. I'll have to add that to my other list of good Percy Jackson Halloween costume, which is dressing up as the Supreme Lord of the bathroom and just having like a scepter made out of a toilet brush. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And again, the rules for all of these ideas are you can do the stuff free of charge. Just if anyone compliments you, you have to tell them to listen to the News Olympian. Exactly. Mm Karen confirms it's not Leroy. It is Typhon, the largest threat that the gods have ever faced, but he reveals that this was the scene from two days ago. So, oh, cool stuff. It gets worse. (laughs) He switches the vision to show what's going on today, and there are storm clouds across the Midwest with tornadoes causing destruction. A newscaster says that five states are now disaster areas, and the camera zooms in on a storm column wrecking, according to narrator Percy, quote, some Midwest city, I couldn't tell which one. True New Yorker Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. What is this? Boise. Uh, <laughs> Sioux Falls. Like, I don't know. What it is. Yeah. Was it Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas? Yeah. What's going on there? What's going on? Uh, one of those Midwestern cities. Yeah. <laughs> He can see in the cloud Typhon and the much smaller gods of Olympus fighting him. Chiron says that they've been trying to slow him, but he's headed towards Olympus. When Percy asks, who's guarding Olympus then? Connor says that if Typhon gets to New York, it doesn't really matter who's guarding Olympus. Percy thinks that it's just too simple. There's got to be something else going on. He recalls the Golden Titan, who is still unnamed, meaning he is very important, from his dream, (laughs) saying that there were several challenges, so he figures that this must be just the first. Hmm. Percy implores them to defend Olympus because he thinks that this is just a trick and another attack is coming. Travis thinks that the ship might have been the second attack. Percy gives Annabeth a look, and he can tell that they are thinking the same thing. They aren't convinced about that, and then they're worried that Cronus might have even let them destroy the ship so that they would let their guard down. Percy doesn't want to say this in front of Selena. What a lad, Percy Jackson. So he simply tells Travis in an unconvincing tone that he may be right. Chiron says that this is enough for one night, and he ends the Iris message, and Percy says that that's an understatement, and the council adjourns, and so does this episode of The Newest Olympian. But fear not, listener, because Sequoia will be back. It'll be just about five minutes before we talk about it. (laughs) But in your time, it will take a week. But 
Fear not. She will be back and we will be talking about chapter four and chapter five. But Sequoia, in the meantime, first off, thank you so much for joining. But second, if people want to hear your voice, they're like, oh my God, a week that's too long. She was so fun. Where can they find you doing <laughs> podcasty things? Yeah, you can find me in a couple different places. I am a co-host of a show called Fanatical Fix and Where to Find Them, which is a Harry Potter fan fiction podcast where we read the wildest Harry Potter fan fiction than we could find from before 2008. So come join us on a journey of nostalgia and wildness. And then I also host a show called But Make It Scary. It is currently on hiatus, but there are over 60 episodes in that back catalog if you want to check those out. And then I will be back on July 12th. That is a show where we take romance movies and we rewrite them as horror movies. And Mike has been on it twice. It's a delight. It's such a great podcast. It's so good. Not just because I was on it and not just because you. It's just objectively a very good podcast that more people should be listening to. We turned my favorite rom-com, which is my mother's favorite rom-com, The American President, into a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And then we turned Carrie, the horror movie, into a Christmas movie. So whichever end of the (laughs) horror movie spectrum you want to see, you've got options. I've also been on a handful of episodes of Fanatical Fix, and all those fanfics are truly bizarre. Just wild, (laughs) wild stuff. Wild stuff. We have a good time. And if you are a person who does the TikToks, you can find me on TikTok at Sequoia Simone. Well, there you go. Sequoia, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, as we see what's going down at camp, where the vibes are not great, (laughs) but maybe they'll turn around. (laughs) Who's to say? Until we figure out what's going on, I'll see you later. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want more TNO in your life, there's a couple different places you can find us. You can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash The Newest Olympian. And then Patreon has a whole bunch of bonus content at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. Speaking of the Patreon, I'm going to give a shout out to our producer level patrons, our members of the Olympic Court. Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vikstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayer, Joshua Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kittes, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalma, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sandkopf, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsma, Demigod Nurse, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Lunica Dune, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, and Sky Captain and the Princess. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can talk about the podcast. Word of mouth is so huge. Whether you tell someone directly, you know someone who is a PJO fan, or someone who's been looking for an excuse to read the books, you reach out, hey, there's this podcast TNO, the new Olympian, it's perfect, the host is great and also humble. You would love it, you should check it out. Or you can post about us on social media, or you can leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All of these things really help. And if you do any of these things, I am so, so thankful. And if you do them in the future, thanks in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and I hope you tune into our next episode where we will be joined once again by Sequoia Simone and we will be covering the rest of chapter three and all of chapter four of The Last Olympian. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So again, we're going to be doing things in the Shubio sound 
edition for ASMR mic, I've got a little forearm workout thing, which is nice. It's one of those like squeezy grippy guys. What's nice about it is this allows me to get a little forearm workout if I'm on, you know, a boring meeting call or something like that. Unfortunately, it started to squeak, which makes me doing it during something that I'm supposed to be paying attention to not good. But because it's making noise, we can use it for this ASMR mic segment. So here we go. It's going to hear some uh, squeakings as I get a little uh, forearm workout in. We'll see if that came through on my sound editing software, but thank you for listening.